0: Well, good morning. I am excited and thrilled to be here at this gathering of Loudoun Valley Baptist Church. Again, my name is Cody Snyder. I currently serve at Hamilton Baptist Church as the pastoral intern there. I started last fall and will be doing so through the end of this year. Um, I'm married to my wife, Emily. I have two kids. Eleanor is four years old and Grayson is two years old. So talking about rest today, I understand, for all of us parents in here. And I'm thrilled to be here. I've enjoyed getting to know your pastor, Jacob. Uh, I've been encouraged by him, and I'm grateful for his friendship and really partnership in the gospel. And so I'm excited to, and delighted to think about God's word with you today. Now, a couple years ago, when I was in seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, my first job, one of the first jobs that I did to work through seminary was to sell mattresses. Exciting. And what I never realized before that job was how many different types of mattresses there are. And if you've had to shop for a mattress recently, maybe you've discovered this. But it's, it's almost like buying a car, which to me is not an exciting thing. There are many different brands you can decide if you want A traditional mattress a foam mattress or like a hybrid of the two you can get a rock solid hardwood floor type mattress or you can get a light and soft fluffy mattress or there's about nine or ten steps in between that you can get you can get a mattress that moves up and down or just traditional And I feel like every time I get the mail, there's always an advertisement for another mattress. Or if you're online, there's always an advertisement that pops up for this mattress that is going to give you the best night's sleep and guarantees to relieve all of your back pain. All of that to say is these advertisers know that we live in a restless world. They know that we need rest. But at the same time, If we can have that energy that we need to get by to function without all of that sleep we'll take it and despite recent scrutiny from the fda regarding the safety of energy drinks last year these sales were up four percent compared to 2017 and people spent over 10 billion dollars on energy drinks just in the u.s alone 10 billion dollars now i'm not here today to sell you a mattress or to say you should or shouldn't indulge in energy drinks, but my point is we live in a restless society, right? Especially here in Northern Virginia, we're busy people, we're always moving. But our passage today in Holy Scripture reminds us that we are restless people and we need rest, but it's not talking about physical rest for us, but it's talking about rest for your soul. This morning we sang, is it well? I mean, it is well with my soul. And a question I would have to ask you and myself, is it well with your soul? You know, sometimes I sing that song and maybe you even did this this morning. You sang those words, but deep inside, it's not really feeling well. The stress of life has gotten on you. Maybe your job, maybe parenting's been extra difficult this week. Whatever it is, sometimes it's not always well. Sometimes life is not restful. The glorious thing though about our passage today in Matthew chapter 11 is that it tells us exactly where we can find rest. So if you're a Christian today, you claim to follow Jesus, and maybe you're weary, maybe you're tired, I pray that God will use these truths to provide rest and to renew your confidence in Him, even this morning. And if you're not a Christian, I'm glad that you're here today. I'm thankful for you. And I pray that you will see what Christianity is really all about. You will see it's not a set of rules. It's not a set of virtues. It's not a set of outdated standards. But ultimately, Christianity is about a person, and that person is Jesus. So would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 11? Matthew chapter 11, and I'm going to read verses 25 through 30. And here is God's word. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children, Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And that is God's holy word. Now, what I want us to see from this passage today, what I think Matthew is telling us, and what we can gain from this is this, is that God is only known through grace by Jesus. So come to him, for there you will find rest for your soul. Again, God is only known by grace through Jesus. So come to him, for there you will find rest for your soul. So the first thing I want us to see from this passage today is that God is only known by grace. Now, if you were to read the entire chapter of Matthew, chapter 11, you would see this is really a scene of judgment. This is really a scene of uncertainty. It starts out by talking about John the Baptist. There's some doubts going on. Then it goes to these unrepentant cities for rejecting the works of Christ. And then as we come to our passage today, we see that Matthew gives us this scene where Jesus is is praying or really praising the Father, And as oftentimes they were, Jesus' prayers were not meant to be secret, not meant to be unheard. They were meant to be heard, and they were meant to teach us something. And so first, Jesus reminds us that the Father whom he is praying to is Lord of heaven and Lord of earth. And while preaching this passage many, many years ago, Augustine said that these two words, Lord of heaven and earth, Embrace all of creation. Embrace the cosmos. And so we're reminded early in Jesus' prayer that Jesus is thanking the Father for his complete control, his complete sovereignty over all things. God is Lord of heaven, and God is Lord of earth. And it reminds us of Psalm 115, verse 3, which says that God is in the heavens, and he does whatever he pleases. Our God is in complete Control. But after affirming this complete power, this complete control, he takes us to a specific area of of the Father, of his complete control. And a theme from the book of Daniel starts to emerge. You see these things like hidden things about the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Well, in the book of Daniel, if you were to go back and read that, it's God in heaven who reveals mysteries or the things unknown about God to people on earth. And so Jesus is reminding us of what the Father is, what the Father can and cannot do. He has the power to reveal us things, to teach us things about himself, or he has the power and the right not to teach us, not to reveal us things. He can reveal things about himself or he can conceal things about himself. And specifically, he's talking about these hidden things, So what are these hidden things? Well, in this chapter of judgment and uncertainty, it seems to be, how do we know exactly what God is doing in the world? How do we know despite we know God's judgment, how do we know how salvation is to come in this world? And Jesus reminds us that God can tell us or God cannot tell us. But why is Jesus praising the Father for this? I think it's one thing to get up, maybe Jesus to teach us about this, Maybe we, we do this. We're reminded of God's complete control. But do you praise God for this, for his ability to reveal or conceal certain things? But let's think about that. Why is Jesus praising the Father for these things? And notice he said it's revealed to little children. But suppose it was the wise the people who who had everything figured out. Suppose it was those type of people to whom God revealed all of these things to. They would boast in their knowledge, in their wisdom. Suppose it was the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, to whom God revealed these things to. Well, they would boast in their religious keeping, right? Suppose it was the rich to whom God revealed these things to. They would boast in their efforts. Suppose it was those who were the most self-disciplined to whom God revealed these things to. They would boast in their work ethic. But suppose, like the text says, that God chose to reveal these hidden things to those who are like little children. What would they boast in? Well, the point is they, they would have nothing to boast in. Think about little children or infants. What's the thing about them is that they are dependent. They certainly do not want to admit that or act like that or function like that. But at the end of the day, if a child or an infant needs something, who are they coming to? They're coming to their father, their mother, because they realize they know where to go to get something when they need it. And this is exactly what's going on is God reveals himself to those who desperately need it. They can't do things on their own. So what does this teach us, this this truth about God, this prayer from Christ? I think it's showing us that God is only known by grace, right? If God can choose to reveal himself or not choose to reveal himself, we are up to the mere mercy of God, the grace of God for him to show us what is going on in the world. So let's remind ourselves for a moment as we work through this passage that God doesn't owe us anything. And we don't like that statement because often we feel that we are entitled. But we are reminded by Holy Scripture that God doesn't owe us anything. We may think, well, I'm, I know that God is love and I'm, I'm pretty lovable, so maybe God should reveal these things to me. But we know from Scripture that's not the case. If we are to know things about God, what we need to know about salvation, what we need to know about judgment, what we need to know about hope, we are up to the mercy of God. And for those of us who understand the mercy of God, the grace of God, we know this, don't we? We know that you or I didn't come to know God because we, we came to this level of knowledge or we came to this understanding, but we know that it was God's grace because we became as children. this is what this passage is reminding us. But at this point, nothing too shocking has been said in the words of Christ, right? His audience, whom he was speaking to, whom Matthew is writing about, would have known that they would have been familiar with Daniel. They would have known that God holds all wisdom. They would know that God reveals wisdom or doesn't reveal wisdom. But the question that I think sticks out to us is, okay, now that we know that God can choose to reveal himself or not choose to reveal himself, And he does reveal himself to those who are like little children. How do do we know those things? How do we know about God's grace? And really the second point is this. It's only through Jesus. It's only through Jesus. And it's at this point in in Jesus' teaching and Jesus' prayer where things get really interesting, right? He talks about the Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've revealed these things and hidden these things. For this was your gracious will. This is what pleased you, is what he's saying there in verse 26. But then verse 27 is one of those shocking claims of Jesus. He says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. He talks about this unique, exclusive relationship that Jesus has between God the Father and as we will see, God the Son. While it was typical in Jewish culture, in Jewish traditions to talk about God as the Father, it was almost unprecedented, unheard of for somebody to start talking about my Father. Jesus does this as if he's got a personal relationship with him that nobody else has. And what Matthew is showing us from the mouth of Jesus is that that very same wisdom, that very same control that Jesus just praised the Father for? Matthew is saying, Jesus has that. Jesus has the same authority, the same power as God the Father. This would have been so shocking to the people around him. And it's things like this that got Jesus into a lot of trouble that ultimately led to Jesus' crucifixion. He's blaspheming was the charge against Christ. And he would have been, except it was true. He does have the same authority as God the Father. There's no one who knows the Father as well as the Son. What an astonishing claim by Christ. And this is an important truth for us because remember we're talking about knowing God and knowing God's grace and it's only known through Jesus. But now that Jesus has come, since Christ has come, the only way you know God is through Jesus. You cannot know God without knowing Jesus. As 1 John chapter 2 reminds us, no one who denies the Son has the Father. And whoever confesses the Son what has the Father also. Before Jesus came, before the arrival of Christ on earth, We knew about the Father. We knew about God. We knew things, right? After all, we have the entire Old Testament. But Colossians reminds us that the Old Testament was like shadows. It was like pictures pointing us to the real thing, right? These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ, For example, this is why we no longer worship in a temple, right? Because Jesus is the true temple where God and people can meet. This is why we no longer offer animal sacrifices, right? Because Jesus is the final ultimate sacrifice who satisfied God's righteous and holy wrath. This is why we are no longer under the constraints of the law because Jesus has fulfilled the law. And here we are reminded that Jesus is the wisdom of God. This passage makes it absolutely clear. If you want to know God, you must know Jesus. He is the exclusive way to the Father. God's revelation about himself, we see about grace, is only known through Jesus. Now, most of us are sitting here today and we know this, right? We know that Jesus is the way we know God. But may I remind us, may I remind myself, that sometimes we're tempted to offer hope outside of Jesus, maybe knowingly or unknowingly, right? And so, may we be reminded today not to offer hope outside of Jesus. I don't know what particular sin you struggle with or maybe are struggling with even this morning. Maybe it's a rough season of marriage, Maybe there's a personal sin? Maybe your children or grandchildren have gone wayward and that eats on your mind? Maybe you see the state of our culture and are saddened, depressed? But don't be fooled. The world will tell you that things like marriage is overrated, right? Just give up, move on, find somebody else? Or You need to let your kids, parenting is tough, so let your children decide for themselves what they want to be. Don't teach them or force religion upon them. Let them decide. Or embrace the change in society, embrace progress, right? It's for the better. But brothers and sisters, I think our text today reminds us that there is no other hope, there is no other wisdom from God outside of Jesus. So don't offer yourself hope outside of Jesus and don't offer others hope outside of Jesus. So we're reminded that we can only know God by grace, through Jesus, but who are the recipients of this grace? Is it everybody? No, the passage says it's only those who come to Jesus. And here's where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. And it's the third point is we see the invitation. The invitation. So we can only know God by grace through Jesus. But how does that happen? Well, it's through this invitation, this glorious. Some of the most beautiful words in Scripture from the mouth of Jesus are right here. Notice what he says. Come to me. Come to me. What does the one who possesses all power, who possesses all authority, who possesses all the wisdom, who knows everything about your life, every detail, everything that nobody else knows about, he knows your secret thoughts. What does that person do? Does he condemn you? Does he say, do this to appease Me? No. What does the one with all power do here? Power can be gloriously good, right? If power is in the right hands, it can be a gloriously good thing. Or it can be absolutely terrifying. Think about it. Think about a king with complete power and complete control. He can do whatever he wants. He has the means, the resources to do whatever he wants. Think if that person is Hitler or Stalin. That is absolutely terrifying. But what if it's King Jesus who has all power, who has all authority and can do whatever he wants? Brothers and sisters, that is great room for rejoicing. What would Jesus do? Well, he invites the weary. He invites the tired tired. He invites the brokenhearted. He invites those who are worn out by your own self-efforts to please God. He invites all the weary, those who are like little children, who understand their need, their dependence. He invites them to come to himself, to give them rest. What mercy and grace from the God who knows everything about us, who knows the full weight of our sin, our desire, to go our way, decide, and make our own decisions. God invites us to come to Him. And remember, this invitation isn't for everyone, but for those who don't have all the answers, those who don't feel capable to live according to God's standard. If you feel like you can't do life on your own, like a child you need help, you feel that you can't meet God's standards, like you're carrying heavy burdens... If this describes you, Matthew, this text has good news for you. This text has gospel for you. Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me. And this this invitation really reveals the heart of Christianity, doesn't it? Notice what Jesus does not say. He doesn't say, go to the temple and make sure you bring a certain amount of money there and I will fix all of your problems, right? Some label that as Christianity today, but that's not Christianity. Or maybe, meet me next week and I will give you the 12 rules to a better life. I will give you the power for positive thinking. I will give you this manual. Jesus doesn't send us to a self-help manual. He doesn't say, cheer up, don't be so hard on yourself. Don't think so lowly of yourself. Things will get better. Better luck next time. No, he doesn't send us to a self-help manual. He doesn't send us to a set of religious rituals. He doesn't give us a list of simplistic sayings that really are not helpful. He sends us to himself. Christianity is ultimately about a person, and it's Jesus. In a little book called The Well in the Cathedral, the author of that book said this, long ago people discovered a well, and they came year after year to the well to drink the refreshing water. They felt healed, made whole by the water. Then someone said, let's build a building over the well so that people will know where it's at. So they built a building. Years passed, and others said, let's build a cathedral over the well so that people will see it better. They built it, and as the years pass, they said, let's build other buildings and more buildings and more buildings to point people to this building. And it got bigger and bigger, and the people forgot about the well. I'm afraid sometimes the way that others perceive Christianity is about the buildings or the things that represent us and not about the living well that is actually inside of us. So may we be reminded today that we don't come to a place necessarily or a set of rituals or self-improvement. We come to Jesus. And also as we seek to evangelize, as we seek to make disciples of all nations, we're not sending people to a specific location necessarily or a set of rituals. We're sending them to Jesus. He is the heart of Christianity. Come to me. Believe in who I claim to be and what I'm able to do for you. That's really what Jesus is saying here. Believe in who I claim to be and what I'm able to do. Everyone needs rest, and everyone will go somewhere to find it. Similar to saying, everybody will worship something. Everybody needs rest, everybody has desires. And know this you will go somewhere to fulfill that rest, or at least try to. I need a new job. That will give me rest. I need a new friend. I need a new relationship. I need a vacation. I need another drink. I need Netflix, right? We will go to things to try to find rest. So what what pillow are you laying your head on at night? Where are you going to find the rest for your weary and tired soul? You really only have two options. It's Jesus or something else. Jesus or something else. And many of these things will give you a a power nap, if you will. They may feel good for a while. They may give you temporary relaxation or rest. But they will not give you ultimate rest. They will not ultimately satisfy you. Now let's look on the further implications of coming to Jesus Are further explained. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. But he doesn't stop there, does he? He says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, verse 29, take my yoke upon you. Now what, what does that mean? Because Jesus just said that if we come to him, he will give us rest. And we don't talk about yokes much, but if you know anything about yoke, it's not a symbol of rest, it's a symbol of work. So what is Jesus talking about? Is he giving us rest or is he giving us work? Well, let's think about this. A yoke was the the wooden frame, right, that you put between two oxen, typically, to do work for pulling heavy loads. So if we're coming to Jesus for rest, why do we need a yoke? Well, what's interesting is that the rabbis or Jewish tradition at at the time of Jesus often referred to the law, which the law of Moses and a bunch of other things that they added to this, they often referred to that as the yoke of the law. And what were they saying by that is the the law is a heavy burden to carry. It takes a lot of work to fulfill the law. And later, Matthew would point to this in chapter 23 when he said this. He said, The religious leaders, they tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry, and they put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. Jesus is contrasting himself to the way of the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, if you will. So to the Pharisees, every little thing you do is scrutinized outward conformity is salvation but Jesus his yoke is to learn from him but he says something about his yoke that is fundamentally different than the yoke that the religious leaders were putting on the people of his day he says my yoke is gentle and lowly it's easy my burden isn't heavy my burden is light it's gentle he's humble the yoke of Jesus in this passage is what he desires his followers to do. Don't think that following Jesus is simply an act of letting go and letting God, right? It's not coming to Jesus and say, I trust you. Now I'm going to sit back while you just do everything. That's not what Matthew is letting us think here. He says, no, Christianity is coming to Jesus and following him as a way of life. This is how you find the rest. So be aware of those who reject or advocate for a leisurely type of Christianity. Sure, I'm a Christian, but I don't really read the Bible. I don't really confess my sin. I don't really pray that much. There's a bunch of other people making disciples I don't need to evangelize. I don't really go to church that much. This type of Christianity is not found in Scripture. Coming to Jesus means following Jesus, right? It means His yoke. He has a standard for us to follow. And to help us understand what's going on here, remember what 1 John chapter 5 says? It says this, His commandments are not burdensome. The commandments of God are not burdensome. So it's not as if religious people have rules, and you come to Jesus and He doesn't have any rules. No, religious people have lots of roles but the funda- and so does Jesus, but the, the fundamental difference is that when you come to Jesus, you're not earning salvation compared to the religious leaders. You don't have to work for your salvation. You don't have to work to be accepted by God. They are burdensome, but Jesus's are not. They are oppressive, but when you come to Jesus, it's freedom. The yoke of Jesus is freedom. It's learning from him. So for those of us that have come to Jesus, for those of us that claim to be Christians, what are you learning about Jesus lately? An easy way to make sure that you are learning, that you are learning from the yoke of Jesus is to be active and involved in the life of the church, right? Galatians 6 verse two says to carry one another's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. How do you often make it through difficult times, trials, circumstances, difficult decisions? By praying, seeking the direction of the Lord, yes, but in the context of the church. We have a bunch of people here who are covenanted together to help each other carry the burdens of life. And that is a means by which God works to give us rest. It's oftentimes through sympathy and the encouragement of another brother or sister in Jesus that we experience God re-energizing us. The yoke of Jesus is easy His burden is light. When we come to Jesus in the midst of our labor and he gives us his yoke, we come to Jesus carrying heavy burdens and he gives us a light burden. What in exchange. The gospel teaches us the good news about Jesus and Matthew was pointing us forward is that there's a great exchange that happens on the cross. Jesus took our unbearably our heavy yoke of sins, condemnation, and the penalty that comes with that. Our desire to take God off of his throne and place ourselves up there. We want to make the decisions. We want to set the standards. God takes those sinful desires through Christ, nails them to the cross. And because Jesus, three days later, got up from the dead victoriously as king, as who he said he is, he takes our filthy rags, our heavy burdens, and what he puts it on himself. But he not only puts it on himself; he gives us his righteousness. What an exchange of coming to Jesus! His burden is light. His yoke is easy. Have you have you read Pilgrim's Progress? Maybe you're familiar with the story, uh, kind of an allegorical story of, of a, a man named Christian. I'm sure you can puts the two together, walking through this world and all the dangers that he faces as he tries to get to the city, the place where God is. And at one point in the story, well, a main theme in the story is Christian starts out and he's carrying this heavy burden that he can no longer bear. And along the way, he encounters quite a charlatan of Mr. Worldly Wise Man, And this guy named Mr. Worldly Wise Man offers alternative suggestions to Christian for getting rid of this burden. A guy named Evangelist told him how to get rid of it earlier, but this guy is trying to show him there's an easier way. You don't have to go to that hill of Golgotha. You don't have to go to that cross to get rid of your burden. You can do it other ways. And Mr. Worldly Wise Man tries to totally renounce the Bible. He says, you don't have to trust that. He says, human morality, you can can earn your way. You can become a better person. If you go through the right methods or the right psychology, you can get rid of your burden. Or just be good. Don't go to that ugly cross. But none of these worked. It's as if the burden just got heavier and heavier the more Christian tried to get rid of it himself. But perhaps some of the most beautiful words from that book is when Christian sees the cross. When Christian comes to the cross, I quote him, just as Christian came up with the cross, his burden loosed from off his shoulders. It fell from his back and began to tumble and so continued to do until it came to the mouth of the sepulcher where it fell in and I saw it no more. When Christian came to the cross, his burden was gone. The entire Bible is pointing to rest in God. Remember creation? What was it working toward? Seventh day when God rested. You've been studying Exodus recently, and you know that Moses was trying to lead his people to the promised land, a place where they could find rest. If you read further on in in Matthew chapter 12 today, You will see Jesus talking about the Sabbath. Maybe maybe read Matthew chapter 12 this afternoon with your family and think about this. But it's pointing us to Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Jesus is the goal of Scripture. Jesus is the goal of our lives. So come to Jesus. Trust and learn from the one who died on the cross, who exchanged your heavy burden to give you his new way of life by simply trusting Him, by repenting and rose again as the King that He rightly is. So be reminded today that we only know God by grace, but it's through Jesus. So come to Him. Don't forget this glorious invitation. And even though the Christian life is not going to always feel restful, there's going to be struggles. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be trials. There's going to be tribulations. But the offer to come to Jesus isn't a one-time event. It's a continuous event. So come to Jesus. Be afreshed anew by what he offers. For you will find rest both now and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that teaches us about this glorious truth that although we can't earn salvation, we cannot know you apart from grace. You have sent your son, Jesus. And because of his gospel, because of the good news, he offers us rest by simply coming to him, by simply trusting in him. So would you help us do that even today? And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.